everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. You're here with me, Samrin, today, and in who is a little bit under the weather, but you know, yeah. we we are going to help in by going into what is wrong with Bayern Munich, because as you know about Inn's classic pessimism. But let's start with some optimism. In let's talk about Harry Kane. What did you think of his uh, performance in his Bundesliga debut? Um, I have to say I was impressed, to be honest, because like it's just the first game where he has ever managed to start for Bayern Munich. It's not like he had much of any training beforehand. It's just been this week. So based on that, he seemed to be doing really well. He was involved. He was, his passing was really good. His, well, his involvement in other ways was not as good, but I think that's more down to the system than what Kane himself was doing. Overall, I'm cautiously optimistic about this transfer, but then again, we can also remember how Sadio Mane started off at Bayern Munich. He seemed like the perfect fit at the time, and we know what happened there. So, first impression of Harry Kane, yes, he looks like the guy we signed. But I don't want to say any more than that at this stage because, well, what if it gets worse, you know? Yeah, I know. And just like you were thinking about Mane, so was I. But the one difference I would say is that Mane really didn't have any role in Julian Nagelsmann's, oh my God, here we go, so-called strikerless formation. But this team is calling out for a front man. And we'll see if Harry Kane is it. He looked like it on the first day. But what I will point out in is he, the team didn't seem to know how to play through him. Musiala picked Davies or anybody else, literally anybody else. He would rather pass back to Ulreich than pick Kane. And it was just kind of disturbing for me at moments to see Kane just go all the way into like the left back position, left wing position to retrieve the ball. Going so far back as to clear off the line at one point when Sven Ulreich missed the ball. So I don't know why this is happening. Of course, we have to talk about the system. We have to talk about Bayern's link up play. So in, do you think this is a systematic issue? It could be because you think about it, we haven't actually played with a proper target man for almost a year now, right? Julian Nagelsmann kind of de-emphasized the idea of a lone striker really scoring all the goals at Bayern Munich, which is something that Robert Lewandowski kind of complained about. He complained that he wasn't getting enough service in Nagelsmann's system and that there were too many people in the box constantly like getting in his way and getting in the way of his chances. So that could be a thing that has carried over here in the Tupos system. But on the other hand, there is also the issue that I have pointed out in the comment section, but not necessarily in these podcasts yet, which is that Tuchel's system is very static up front. It does not have that level of elite movement that we are kind of used to at Bayern Munich, at least under previous coaches like Nagelsmann and Flick. You look at when, for example, several times in the game against both Werder and against RB Leipzig. There were players like Davies or Gnabry or Coman who did manage to get behind the defense for the triple or something. But when they looked up and looked inside the box, there were just players just standing there waiting for the ball to come to them. There was no no one really making a very good run and there were no staggered runs. There were no uh, players trying to drop off, lose their markers. Those things seem like they are very much missing in this system. Instead, it's all about the wingers trying to get a dribble in and then trying to find themselves in space, which is also not conducive to supplying someone like Harry Kane with his service that he needs to score because often Harry Kane, he just finds himself marked out of the game with one or two centre-backs near him and just standing near him so that he can't really lose them in any way, which, well, like, we did score, right? We did even before... The substitutions were made. We were still leading 2-0. And most of that, in fact, all of that really is down to Kane himself being brilliant. But during the game thread, people were complaining that the players weren't passing to Kane and the chances were just not flowing. And this was Werder Bremen, who are not a very good side, either offensively or defensively. But even then, if you look at the... I, I looked at the stats after the game and Harry Kane had 33 touches. And Nicholas Fulkrug on the other side of the pitch, he had 35, which really tells the story, you know, in terms of which strikers were getting involved. In many ways, um, I find Fulkrug kind of representing what Harry Kane represented at Spurs. Everything has to go through him. 
and he's the best chance of Warner Braven of finding anything. But this, I couldn't, well, I'm used to it by now. I can't say that I didn't expect Byron to be static coming into this game. I fully expected the front four to be pretty static. And I think Harry Kane almost did Tuchel a favor there with how good he is, with how sharp he was even that late into the match and finding that second goal. Because I really, really believe in that if Kane had not scored that goal, this game would have ended 1-0 or 1-1. Going back to your point about Thomas Muller, we all know what happened toward the end of last season. Tuchel was just not starting him. And I think to an extent under public pressure, he started um, starting Thomas Muller and putting him in the lineup. Now, with the purchase of Harry Kane and goals will come, I, I'm, I hope that they will continue to come like they did in the first game. Do you think Tuchel will be under the same pressure as star- of starting Muller as he was last season? Or do you think, and it's not like Bayern management hasn't kind of tried to have always fully supported Muller. It's the fans who have really always been behind him. Do you think Tuchel will leave Muller on the bench for that Augsburg game and eventually Gladbach in Leverkusen? It's a good question because we saw when Muller came on, it was almost a different team. It was so much more fluid, so much easier for players to find chances inside the box. Two goals scored in the last, I think, 10-15 minutes of the game, which completely eclipses the first 80 or so. and. Well, most of it was down to just having Thomas Muller there, not only his great passing and the way he builds up the play, but also just his instructions and how he makes the team move around him and make sure that they are in the positions they can be to score. I don't know if Tuchel is going to start him against Augsburg. I think that is the that is that is going to be the game where we find out what Tuchel really thinks of Muller in this current system. He did get an assist in the Werder Bremen game. And you have to understand that, like, if Tuchel ignores that, then I think we are in for a very rough season. But if Tuchel decides, nah, okay, fine. This is how Bayern Munich needs to be set up with Thomas Muller behind Harry Kane. If he recognizes the problem and the solution here, and he starts both of them against Werder, then I think... That despite the fact that Bayern Munich have a lot more problems aside from the Thomas Muller issue and Kane not getting touches and all that other stuff, we might be okay because it shows that the coach is ready to recognize the initial problems in the system and rectify them, which is all we can ask for if the initial idea is not good enough. Now, if he goes to something worse, like say, for example, persists with this setup or switches to, God forbid, a back three, then I I think we're really in for it because it's not as like the schedule is not so forgiving that Tuchel can just afford to experiment. He kind of needs to get this right as soon as possible. Augsburg, we may well win against them, but against Leverkusen the week after, I I don't think so. So yeah. Is it Leverkusen the week after? or is it No, Gladbach? it's Gladbach. Yeah, it's Gladbach. It's Gladbach. Yeah, it's Gladbach yeah. the week after. So yeah, with Gladbach, we probably lose to them no matter what. But even so, I expect at least some kind of good performance, right? Okay, maybe not even that, but I at least expect us to maybe score a goal or something, you know? So for that to happen, we need our best team on the pitch. And our best team right now, Tuchel, he needs to show that he's learning. He did show that he's learning somewhat against Werder by... Not starting Pavard again, he started Matsrawi and it worked out. Matsrawi is a great player. So we just need to see him learning lessons. That's the bare minimum we asked for. And if he keeps learning those lessons, then perhaps by the time the latter rounds of the Champions League or something that, that comes around, we will have a functioning system that can do exactly what we want it to and then win a treble or whatever. You know? I think... Uh... Whenever I've had some hope in Tuchel really understanding this team, it has really come back to bite me. And one example of that is actually Pava. And right now, as we know behind the scenes, Pava really, really wants out. But it seems like Bayern was very okay with trying to keep Pava and sending Stanisic on loan to Bayern Leverkusen, where playing time might be hard to come by anyway for Stanisic. Stanisic is a very capable player. I don't remember who this was, but somebody in the comment section had mentioned that Stanisic is the equivalent of Muller if Muller was a defender. So in the sense that he came through the academy, yes, but also 
Stanisic does a lot of very good things. And he's not always the most eye-catching player. But I remember that PSG game, and he was so, so solid. That was supposed to kickstart something. It didn't. Tuchel came, and back to the bench went Stanisic. So, in actually, I want to get your thoughts on this this move for Stanisic. I mean, I don't like it, but what do you think? It's one of those things, like, um, you have to wonder what Tuchel is thinking, right? Because it feels like, first of all, there is one thing going on with the board, one thing going on with the players, and one thing going on with the coach. Pavard wants to leave, right? We've known that for a very long time now, but his transfer is only being finalized right around now with Inter offering, I think the most recent bid was something like 27 million euros plus 3 million in add-ons, which is, first of all, a little bit low, but probably the best we're going to get because for whatever reason, all the players don't want to leave us. They, they never choose the really high-spending clubs, guys like Chelsea or whatever. They don't choose those other clubs. They keep choosing Inter Milan or Barcelona who are completely broke and have no money to spend, which is a little bit annoying. But like I, I thought Pavard was going to Man United, actually, and they could have given us at least $35 million. So it's quite disappointing that he's going to Inter. But Pavard has wanted to leave. We've known that for a long time. Tuchel must have known that for a long time. The board definitely has known that for a long time. In the midst of that, what has he done? He's kept on giving Pavard chances after chances. He's with no real indication that Pavard is using those chances to really, you know, if he's going to take those chances and become more willing to stay because he was given multiple games at centre-back in preseason and then he started against Leipzig at right-back instead of players that we already have on the squad who could have started in those positions. Now we have Stanisic going on loan because the board and Stanisic himself, they seem to implicitly understand that Tuchel is not going to give this guy any minutes. Then you have Build, who are basically the club's spokesperson at this point. They're coming out and saying that Bayern Munich will only let Pavard leave if they get a replacement in. Now, what does that mean? What does what kind of communication is going on behind the scenes where, like, we already had this replacement for Pavard. It's Stanisic, but Tuchel doesn't want to use Stanisic. That's why we're sending him on loan to protect him and get him some minutes and make sure that he is not like rotting on the bench. But on top of that, we have, well, Bayern, again, going back to the market and scouring it for someone who can actually be a backup to Matsurawi this season because the guy who should have been the backup, well, both of the guys who should have been the backup to him, they're being sent off. Like, maybe the plan was to always have Kyle Walker in that spot, but the Kyle Walker chase ran dry almost, what, it's been two weeks since we had any significant movement on Kyle Walker. So they must have known that this was coming. I I just don't, like, I I feel bad for Stanisic, obviously, and the situation, but I think going to Leverkusen and playing on the Zabi Alonso can only be good for him instead of sitting on the bench under Thomas Tuchel. He didn't even make the squad in the last two games. That just tells you what Tuchel must think of him. At that point, he has to go, whether or not Bayern Munich get a replacement or not, because... Like, he needs to protect his own playing time and his own career. But I'm worried about the club and the direction it's going because some of these decisions are just so baffling. Just just to give you a little bit of history, Klinsman wanted to sell Thomas Muller mm-hmm. and he wanted to sell Mats Hummels. And you know mm-hmm. what happened with Mats Hummels. Yeah, sometimes, Bayern, Bayern, yeah, sometimes Bayern makes these decisions. Thankfully, Harman Gerland was there and he stopped the Thomas Muller move from happening. But sometimes the club makes these kinds of boneheaded decisions. And sometimes the right people stop them. But I have a theory about the right back position, and this is like wild, so I don't know how much truth there is to it. But the entire summer, Tuchel implied that Kimmich is not a number six. I think oh. what he what wanted to do was move Kimmich to right back, have Mazraoui as a backup, and, you know, Pava plays wherever the heck Pava wants across the back four, and then buy a new six. Now, I'm sure, by now, Tuchel has realized the club is not going to spend X amount of money on a number six. It is not happening. The club is happy with Kimmich and Goretzka. So now that that has happened, Tuchel is perhaps, you know, trying his best to stop Pava from leaving, which is Daniel Levy levels of maniacal. Because a player is unhappy. He wants to leave. You're going to get money from, for him. He's going to leave on a free next year anyway. Let him go and take the money. So... I don't know. What do you think, Ian? Do you think that's what Thomas Tuchel wanted? Um, now that you bring it up, 
the idea of putting Kimmich at right back and maybe making Matraui his understudy is definitely something that I can see Tuchel thinking about because he randomly mentioned in one of his press conferences about Kimmich being a right back as well, which, well, um, you know, moving Kimmich to right back would be an amazing, amazing way for us to lose Matraui, Kimmich, Stanisic, and Pavard all at the same time because all of them would leave. And then all we would be left with is Bunasar as our right back because no one else would want to play there for us. That's hilarious. You're right. Which though. also reminds me that Bunasar is, uh, if we don't get a replacement of Pavard, um, Bunasar is going to be our number two right back at this club, assuming that Thomas Tuchel does not move Kimmich to right back and we end up. Look, the thing is that Kimmich could be a good right back backup. And maybe if we don't get a replacement for Pavard in time and we still sell him, I can see us rolling with him as right back for a little while, but it's problematic, first of all. And second of all, I think Tuchel's plan A was actually to get Kyle Walker and have him as the main right back and Matraui as his understudy. And once the Walker thing, I think, has fallen through, I think Bayern might make another attempt for him in this coming week, but probably City, they seem very reluctant to sell to Bayern compared to all the other teams that they seem to deal with. They offer, sorry, Kyle Walker a several year long contract just to keep him out of our hands, which might say something about how City view us as a competitor. But the way I see it, is that fundamentally Tuchel, he doesn't really trust some of these guys under him. And he that's because, sorry, that's the reason why he wants to go this route and of having a new defensive midfielder and having Kyle Walker at right back instead of someone like Matsrawi or switching things up completely in both attack and midfield. It's, it's just like this. The impression that we got last season is that there were certain members of the squad that, despite being very good, were players that Tuchel did not fancy. Guys like Stanisic, Muller, um, Kimmich, specifically in the midfield, uh, Goretzka as well. And because of that, Tuchel wanted these his guys coming in in this summer. Now that the board has stonewalled him, on some of those fronts, but still giving him Harry Kane, he doesn't seem to be in a position to complain, but he also needs to adjust. And I think he's going to find some of those adjustments very hard to make. So let me put this to you. What do you make of Tuchel starting Goretzka in the super um, in the first league game? I, I think it means that once again, Bayern Munich have bought a midfielder from RB Leipzig who has decided to let's say, not meet expectations because Conrad Leimer, after his first two preseason games, he has been getting worse and worse. And it really culminated in that performance with Leipzig where he was completely invisible and not doing anything. I always knew that Goretzka would eventually make it back into the lineup because this is what always happens, right? You get a new player and he looks a little bit good, but then they settle into the system and a few of the managers perks start to work into their game and then you realize that okay the game the player that was already there beforehand who has already had those quirks drilled into them and was dealing with them a lot better he's actually the better player or something like that that's why Goretzka eventually beat out Sabitzer under Nagelsmann even when Sabitzer was playing relatively well last season and I think that's in the process of happening again once again we're seeing Goretzka worm his way back into the lineup because I think fundamentally, he's actually a very good player and he can do a lot, even in the weird system that Tuchel wants him to play. It For me, I think Goretzka starting against Bremen is less of an endorsement of Goretzka from Tuchel and more of an indictment of Conrad Leimer. I think this is going to be another case of a midfield signing not working out. This is the first signs of that, in my opinion, because Leimer Kimmich does not look like a pairing that I would use in a big Champions League game. It has not looked like that in any of the games that we've seen so far. And while Leimer himself is definitely a good player, the guy who wanted him, Julian Nagelsmann, is no longer here. And I can't really see exactly how he fits into the setup, given his skill set. And just to piggyback off of that, I almost feel like Goretzka is in a Thomas Muller-like situation where the coaches are trying to replace him one after another, and it's just not happening. And it is yeah. not going to happen. So I just want to talk about Rafael Guerrero for a bit, 
because again, another forgotten man right now. I think he's out injured. Yeah. Where 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 is Tuchel gonna use Rafael Guerrero when he comes back? Doesn't matter because he's gonna be injured all season. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, sure. I uh, think Guerrero. Yeah. I think he was specifically bought as a backup because you can't bench Davies, right? But it might also be that Guerrero was brought in by the club to give them some leverage in the Davies negotiations because, as we all know, Davies enters the final year of his contract next season and we still have not signed him onto an extension. The talks have completely stalled and we know that Real Madrid are lurking. So it might be that the club says to Davies, hey, we already have Guerrero on the squad and there's also Kratzig who has been on the bench for several games now. So Tuchel clearly sees him as a potential left-back backup. With these two, I think they might be our leverage to use against Davies in negotiations for a new contract to keep the new contract from getting a little bit too high. But fundamentally, I think that Tuchel is going to have to start Davies in all his games because Davies has started the season quite well. One of the few players who seems like on form in every game so far. And that just tells you why we should be doing everything we can to keep him. Yeah. Yeah, he's looked fantastic. And he was, like you were saying, one of the only bright spots in the Super Cup, a day when there were very, very few bright spots. Um, shifting to another one of our young guys, Jamal Muziala. Yeah. I, I I was just baffled by his decision making. And look, he's still young. And I do I do want to think about that and put that in context for a second, because what happened to Matisse Tell after the Super Cup was not OK. Yeah. Like, you know, he's know. young. He's learning. So I want to keep that in context with Musiala. Why? Why? Why is everybody in the world so intent on playing this kid as a number 10? It is. It does seem like just that anxiety at Bayern Munich to make sure that we move on from Thomas Muller as soon as possible has captured another victim in the form of Jamal Musiala. Because whenever this has always happened, and I knew this would happen as soon as Musiala started being played at the 10 regularly, because as soon as you get a person into a position where they are competing for minutes with Thomas Muller of all people, the narratives and the need to prove oneself subtly shift to a player's detriment. It's not like Muziala has not had good games at the number 10 position before. And in fact, as I brought up the Lazio game once, uh, he has in fact been an understudy for Thomas Muller and done extremely well at that position. The problem right now, it seems that there is, Buziana, I think, does feel the pressure on himself to justify his spot in the lineup in certain ways and to justify himself as both Germany and Bayern's number 10. And that is causing him to be a lot more selfish and a lot less, let's say, assured in terms of his own game. And it's just affecting him because you can see that a lot of it on the pitch for him is mental right now. He's not making the right decisions, not making the right passes, dribbling where he shouldn't really not be dribbling. And it's not helped by the fact that in the current system, the number 10 spot is a very hard role to play because Muziala, whenever he gets the ball, it feels like there are already five dif different defenders ready to pounce on him and he has no space to operate in. So like we like to joke that he is almost like our Messi in a sense because of how well he can dribble through defenses. But there are limits and Muziala is rubbing up against his own limit and that's causing him more frustration and causing him to be even more selfish. And it's just a feedback loop, which threatens, in my opinion, his entire career and the coach should do something about it. And the obvious solution is to move him to the left wing where he can link up with Davies. But I don't know why it hasn't been done yet. I genuinely don't know what the plan is with Jamal Muziala and both Bayern and Germany, because it feels like they just want to force the Muziala as a number 10 thing as soon as possible for, as far as I can tell, no apparent reason. Like maybe if Muziala is pushing for it behind the scenes, that would actually make some kind of sense. It would at least give us some explanation, but it doesn't seem like that's the case. It just doesn't seem like we are doing it for any obvious reason. It's just that it's just a thing that's kind of just happened. The, the obvious thing about this is that it is not yet time to move on from Thomas Muller. It is not. He's there. He's in the squad. He came on. He has an assist in his name. And that one move that he did to provide that assist for Sané, we used to see a lot with Bayern. So much. That that move was just like, you know those automatisms that Tuchel loves to talk about? Yeah. That move was an automatism built into the system. 
we never see it now. And I think the issue with Mueller is that 451 is not the only system you can play. And there is just no like for like replacement for him when the situation arises. And that's not now. So Barney needs to stop being so anxious about it. But when it comes to this kind of a situation, there are other solutions and it's not going to be a perfect fit. Nobody will be. A perfect fit might be just a slight change in system to incorporate, um, you know, Thomas Muller getting on in years. Another solution might be, and I think this would actually be a bit of a waste, would be to move Harry Kane to the number 10. But then who would play up top? Because Jupa. it's not like, I mean, Jupa's going to be injured like seven for seven months. We know that, you know, he's going to have like, the point right now is that, you know, knock on wood, Kane doesn't get injured because if Kane does, then we have Chupo, which is wonderful. But then Chupo will get injured after a couple games. And we have Tell. So, you know what? We do. And I like that kid. Yeah. Yeah. He scored. I do like so that kid. He's very yeah. So, you know what? Tell up top and Harry Kane behind him might be another solution to this. But right now, I feel like that's a waste. And Harry Kane needs to be up front and Thomas Muller right behind him. As for Germany... They need to try out Florian Wirtz. It might just work. They have more options than just Musiala. Bayern doesn't. Germany does. Um, but I think it's, fundamentally, it's, a tough one. it's still yeah. it's still Thomas Muller who is the guy because yeah, Musiala, yeah, and I think that's but it's not really a problem, but it's being turned into one because of for whatever reason the coaches don't want to admit that he is a solution, and therefore they keep trying things. That's what Nagelsmann did, and that's what. Tuchel seems to be doing the sooner that they give up on this idea that you can have a system without Thomas Muller and people are going to criticize me saying no Thomas Muller is not the end all be all he kind of is he really he really kind of is and once coaches give up on the idea that he isn't that's when they can start maybe fixing the other problems because once you get Thomas Muller in what improves the positioning the attack the defense also improves because he is the orchestrator of the press and the, the pressing in a modern pressing system. Pressing starts from the front. It doesn't start from the midfield of the defense. And Thomas Muller orchestrates that beautifully. And once you have those fundamental bases covered, that's when you can start talking about what the midfield setup should look like, how the players should pass through midfield and how the buildup should work. Because there's a lot of those things that needs to be talked about. For example, Davies, who is who against... Leipzig and then against Bremen, he showed two completely different interpretations of the left back role. Against Leipzig, he generally stayed completely far out wide and functioned as his traditional fullback. Whereas against Bremen, he was more or less an inverted fullback. And you look at his two assists, both of them came from very central positions. So it's like those things are what we should be focusing on, those optimizations. But instead, we keep coming back to this. Uh, perennial debate that every August where we have to talk about, hey, is, is Thomas Muller going to be the guy who really pulls us out of this or why what is going wrong with Bayern? Why can't we get our balls into the correct positions? Why can't we score, etc., etc.? I'm kind of sick of it and I wish that we could just leave this debate behind once and for all and let Muller do his thing until he's 40. Full stop. I I am in full agreement, but I'm going to ask you this. Why do you mm. think Tuchel has such a problem with the biggest voices in the team, with some of the biggest voices well, in the team, Goretzka, Muller, etc.? Well, it's obvious, right? Because he doesn't seem to rate them. Which makes very little sense to me because has Tuchel not watched Bayern coming into... I don't think he has. <laughs> he's, he's just, just watched you, the you, Premier you, League. He's just been watching the Premier League. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because... <laughs> like you, you get that. You really get that impression, don't you, from the way he coaches us? Yeah, yeah. And you know, I almost feel like he doesn't mind the fact that the team is so static. He wants us to score from like a low percentage, you know, from you know, low chance creation. Yeah, because we he's barely not have, seen us yeah. under Hansi Flick. Like the closest he's probably watched us under Hansi Flick was when he was in the Champions League final against us, right? So yeah. Like, he doesn't really understand that these players are capable of so much more because he's brought into whatever English narrative about Bayern Munich is popular right now. And therefore, he doesn't necessarily see a problem with his setup at the moment. In his mind, as far as I can tell, the entire problem is with the players. And the, if the players were just better, the team or his tactics would work better, which, well, um, 
ridiculous. It's true. It's 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 true, but it's also ridiculous because we're not going to do what Chelsea does, and we're not going to spend a billion euros on um getting him exactly who he wants and getting him another Harry Kane for the midfield and another Harry Kane for the defense and this and that because we don't have that kind of money and we don't really need to do that because a little bit of optimization would get this team doing so much more. Tell you what, Tuchel has one of the best Bayern squads at his disposal. This, like you always make this point, and I don't know yeah. why fans don't always see this, that Bayern has probably the second best squad yes, in the in entire the game right yeah. now. So if Tuchel cannot make this tick, then that is clearly on him and not on the team that we're putting out. Is there any defense of Tuchel you have up to this point of what he has been doing? The only defense I can give him is that he... He doesn't stick to bad ideas for too long, other than the Thomas Muller thing. And even with the Thomas Muller thing, I can give him the slight benefit of the doubt that Muller has not necessarily been fit throughout his tenure. That's it. And the other defense I can give him is that he did uh, bully the board into signing Harry Kane, which was a very necessary transfer. Compare that to Nagelsmann, who decided he could uh, do fine without a striker when he really couldn't. So in that sense, I think Tuchel is doing well. Otherwise, in his day-to-day stuff, how he is alienating certain players, not really using the young talent properly, in my opinion. Like, Tuchel is a massive mixed bag with the negatives mostly outweighing the positives so far. Let's see. He does have the ability to change that, but it's we don't know if he really will or not. How long do you think the board will give him? As I said, October. That's early. <laughs> I was going to say December, but that's quick. December? But who fires a coach in December? That's so dumb. There's a winter break, man. Like, you know, yeah, the new so, person can settle that, in. What do you mean settle in? He's, the yeah, winter break yeah, happens right. and then they get one week of training and they're back in the game. Even the established coaches always have a lull after the winter break. And I mean, Bayern Munich's post-winter break slump is a completely established thing at this point. So bringing in a new coach at in the winter break, I don't think that's a good idea. I think, and also, um, you don't want Tuchel to knock us out into the Europa League before we have oh, a chance. Oh, goodness. Even, yeah, before we even Harry have a Kane. chance. To, Harry Kane. Kane in the Europa League. Yeah, that would be, <laughs> that would be like, at, at that point. Bayern would fire him twice if they yeah, could. Bayern would fire him twice. Fire him out of a cannon or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, so, um, you know, we had a plan for this podcast and we thought that for the first half, we discussed a certain number of topics and then the second half, we discover um, a different set of topics. But instead, what happened is that Sam Brent quickly went through every single one of our preordained topics in the first half itself. So we came up with this second list in the middle where Zoom did not allow us to record. So here we are. For the second half of the podcast, we are going to ask about topics that no one cares about. So starting with the goalkeeper situation. So Samrin, have you heard about this new keeper that Bayern Munich wants to sign? I'm going to be honest. I, You know, Rayan has really great knowledge about every league and every player amongst us. Yes, he actually watches football. Can you imagine? Yeah, I know. But outside of the Bundesliga and maybe Arsenal, I'm just very ignorant. So when I heard this name, look, I know Maccabi Haifa. And, you know, I've seen them regularly in European competition, but I have never noticed who their keeper is. And uh, lo and behold, is Daniel Paritz. What about you? Mm. I'd never heard of him before this, to be perfectly honest with you. And the idea, yeah. according to the media, is that he would be a backup to Ulreich. So that means he can't be that good, right? Because, I mean, come on. He's I the backup mean, to Ulreich. Yeah. Yeah. And we're paying how much for this guy? Um, Nothing as of yet, because apparently the deal is in limbo. Because Maccabi, they apparently think that they can swindle us for an extra two to three million, and they're asking for seven million, which is more, I might remind you, than we allowed Inter to pay for Jan Sommer, which is, first of all, ridiculous. Second, this is just transparent brinksmanship on the edge of a done deal. Because Ulrich, after the game against Werder, he did confirm that the deal was on its way to happening. So it's clear that the, uh, Deal was considered a done deal before Maccabi just randomly raised the price near the end. So it might be close to collapse. And personally, I think that if 7 million is the actual number being quoted at that point, we should just walk away because there's no way, there's no universe in which 
a backup to Sven Ulreich. So therefore, an overall third choice keeper is worth 7 million euros. At that point, if Manuel Neuer is going to be out for any longer than he is already, then at that point, you just buy a first choice keeper. And if he isn't, then that 7 million is better off doing whatever else. I don't know. As long as it doesn't go to the Thomas Tuchel budget, you know, but we'll need it to sack him. <laughs> pay his salary for the rest of the time. We still, we still, the point. thing is that we're still paying um, Nagelsmann and we're also still paying Brazil and Khan. Khan, this is brilliant. How do we, how do we operate as a profitable club? We're, we're one of the most profitable clubs, which is even <laughs> funnier. What are the other clubs doing? My goodness. <laughs> right. Chelsea. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Um. Let me... Okay. So while I do feel like it is necessary to sign another backup keeper, uh, what is the latest prognosis on Manuel Neuer? And how do you think this will play he'll out? Be, apparently, he'll be back by mid-September. And the way I see this playing out is that he comes back in mid-September and he's pretty mediocre. And people will be like, Manuel Neuer is finished. But then he gets some game time under his belt. And then by the next half of the season, he's either injured again or he's just fine. So that's pretty much my prognosis. It's not very exciting, but I don't think it needs to be exciting. Because as of right now, the one good thing you can say about Tuchel's system is that it doesn't give the goalkeeper many things to do. And that's where having Neuer back might be a process of adjustment. Because uh, Phil says this a lot, and I agree with him. Our system basically depends on Neuer. It starts it with Neuer as the last defender. And this is what happened in the second half of last season. Jan Zomer is an excellent keeper. He's not Manuel Neuer when it comes yeah. to positional sense and how Bayern plays. So when Neuer comes back, there might be that adjustment process that might just throw throw off more Tuchel plans. But I think there is a chance, like while we won't see prime Manuel Neuer, I think that's gone. That's not going to happen. But even mediocre Manuel Neuer beats out like 85% of the goalkeepers right now that are out there in the top teams. And I will take 85% Manuel Neuer. However, this leads me to like a more long-term question. Bayern replaced Lewandowski, albeit, you know, Harry Kane is 30. What are they going to do about the goalkeeper position, especially with how they have burned bridges with Alexander Nubo? I guess we do the same thing. We go to the Premier League and sign one of their stars. So... Um, Tom's not going to like this. I'm going to say, let's sign Allison. Sure. Let Tom's loyalties be split. Um, how old is Allison? Who knows? Old enough. He's been, he's been around for a long time. Look at when we got Neuer. Um, mm. I don't know how much of this you remember, but I did watch that performance against Man United where Schalke lost 4-1. And Sir Alex came out on the pitch and shook Neuer's hand. And he really, really wanted Neuer to sign for Man United. So Neuer got stuck between Bayern and Man United, but we all knew Neuer was going to swing in Bayern's favor. And he did, but Neuer was young back then. And is there any goalkeeper in their 20s, in their early 20s, mid-20s right now, who you think might be a good fit for Bayern in the long term? I don't think so. As, as someone who does not have an encyclopedic knowledge of European football at this point in time, I can't say. Uh, this is a question that you should ask Tyler instead. But the thing is, like, I feel like that era of Bayern Munich where we would just get the world-class talent while they're still in their 20s, it's an era that's long gone because now that there are so many teams trying to buy the world-class talent before they become world-class, it's simply the fact that it's led to an insane amount of inflation to the point where you can't even get Perez when they are starting out in their career. Because you look at something like, look at how expensive someone like Rasmus Hoyland is. Someone like Randall Colomani, who's only had one good season. Someone like Osman and et cetera, et cetera. These guys, in the earlier era, the era where we got Manuel Neuer, they would probably have cost 25 to 30 million tops. And now they're going for 100 million almost in each case. The prices for prospects is it's almost as high as the finished product these days, which makes it almost impossible for me to see us getting a replacement for Neuer for anything close to a reasonable price. I think we're just going to have to do the Harry Kane thing again and just splurge on an existing established star because that just seems to be the pattern at this point. You know, there are a couple of options in the Bundesliga, but Gregor Kobel has flat out said no. I understand. He's, I don't he's, think Kobel is anywhere near Neuer. No, of course not. But like, you know, 
good keepers. Jonas Omlin at Gladbach is another very good keeper and probably staved off a relegation fight last season. Speaking of goalkeepers, Leverkusen. <laughs> Leverkusen has you bought can't buy all of Leverkusen's players, right? No, no, no. I know, I know. But Leverkusen actually has like a problem in the keeping situation because their goalkeeper, his name escapes me. Oh my goodness. But he tends to make some incredible howlers. But I did watch them against Leipzig. I had like, you know, the goal cast on and I was watching Gladbach in the background and they looked good. They looked really, really good. Leipzig had chances for an equalizer, but mind you, Leverkusen were 3-1 up. And I'm going to ask this question, and this is worth laughing at because I feel like we do this every year. Can Leverkusen win the title? No. (laughs) You won't even give the spot? Why would look? I I did start watching football yesterday. Come on, go play some good football. They might make it to the Champions League or top four at least. And Zabi, he's doing a really good job. Like legitimately, he looks like one of those coaches who might make a real splash. We better keep. It's good that Bayern Munich still have a good relationship with him. Uh, apparently, the reason that we're sending Sandisic to Leverkusen is so that is because of the fact that Zabi is their coach and. We still have good contacts with Zabi there. So that's pretty, like, it's good. I think it's good overall. But, like, Leverkusen winning a, a title, this at even the Bundesliga? No, it's not. It's not going to happen because, well, you need to be more than just good to win a title. You need to be consistently good. And I don't think Leverkusen have that. And they never have had that. Okay, that's a fair point. Um, I think they have strengthened as an very key areas. I think yes. Granit Xhaka is a fantastic signing for them. Yeah. It's shrewd. It's necessary. They That's like one of Leverkusen's main areas of weakness. They have Florian Wirtz fit from the start of the season. They got Victor Boniface. I know, I'm so sure you don't pronounce his last name that way because, you know, it's a French last name. But he, they need a backup to Patrick Schick, who's out for most of the season. Like, regularly out. So, I think that will definitely help their case. But okay, let's go from pretenders to contenders. What do you think of Dortmund's chances this year? And I mean, they were horrible against Cologne. I do, I'm still questioning yeah. how they won that game, um, but they won. And <laughs> Jude Bellingham will be a huge miss. So you tell me. Um, think about Tezic is that I keep saying his, his vibe ball, like there's nothing good about it. Dortmund are boring to watch. They, they make chances, I guess. They defend decently, I guess. They do things on the football pitch that are relatively good. But I just cannot say that they're a good team, if that makes sense. I agree with you. I would say Dortmund do have matches where they're just brilliant to watch and games where they just really suck, like the one against Kong. And yeah, Terzic is literally vibeball, but they did pick up, I don't remember the exact number, I think it's like 43 out of 57 points in the second half of the season. And with Tuchel's inconsistency, and I I actually think Bayern will hang on to him longer than we might like. Um, Nothing in Bayern's history actually suggests that, so I don't know why I think that. Maybe it's the name, and maybe it's because everyone wanted him. Well, I think Rummenigge wanted him, Honus wanted him. But with that being said, do you think they have the players to replace what Bellingham brought to that team? Not really. Like, whenever Dortmund go about replacing a player after this big kind of departure they always they always take a few years to find the next guy and that's their entire problem and right now i cannot point at any players at Dortmund that can really offset the loss of bellingham in any way shape or form they have okay they have haller i mean sebastian haller playing from the beginning this time but well like if you look at that Dortmund team from top to bottom, it just looks like a very mediocre collection of names. It does not look like a squad where I would really look at someone and say, yeah, this guy is really scary. This this is the guy who can take them to another level. And I think that's their main issue, really. And that's why Terzic plays such boring football. He doesn't really have someone who can give them the X factor to take them to the next level. They will probably keep collecting points simply because of how weirdly consistent they seem to be at doing that. But when it comes to those key games, the key games against, for example, Bayern Munich or Leipzig or the teams at the bottom of the table who they often lose to, they're going to lose those games. And that's the reason they won't win the title, which is pretty much the same story that we've heard from Dortmund every year. 
but they'll be closer than usual simply because they have some kind of formula, some kind of black magic formula that allows them to be relatively consistent outside of those few games. It's almost like the opposite to the Leverkusen um, situation because in Leverkusen, I, in my opinion, on their day, they can beat anyone, but they're probably going to lose more often than they'd like. Whereas Dortmund, I think they're going to win more often than anyone expects, but on their day, they could lose to anyone, which is... It sounds like the same thing, but it's in a functional way, it's kind of different. What do you make of this Emre Chan captaincy situation? And what do you make of the fact it's that Emre funny. Chan? Yeah. It, it, why? And why do you think Emre Chan? Why is why Emre is Chan Emre in that Chan team? Yeah, and, Emre Chan. And why? How is he yeah. good in that team? That's the that's the bigger question. He, he never was been okay. This he was okay last season. He was a disaster in that opening match. And yeah. speaking of him, I'm not. I'm kind of surprised. I think it's Modahood. Yeah, they 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 let Modahood go. I'm not that surprised. I I don't think Modahood. If you remember, before he went to yeah. Dortmund, he was considered the next big midfield prospect, like the guy who would go for a hundred yeah. million somewhere down the line. And at Dortmund, mm-hmm. he just struggled to impress, in my opinion. He was somewhat good, but not quite that good. And that you can say that about a lot of yeah. Dortmund's signings, like. People get caught up on guys like Haaland and Bellingham, the guys that come through and actually succeed for Dortmund. But a lot of their signings are just guys that sort of plot along and never quite live up to the promise. Like, for example, Daniel Marlin. What the hell is going on with him? Is he any good? Is he a good football player? I don't know. He scored. He scored their winning goal <laughs> against Cologne, which, um, okay. But the rest of his performance was just, oof. And... It's like, it's for example, if I had to do a comparison, it would be like if Bayern Munich's entire starting 11 was full of a guy like Leroy Sané, a guy who is has a lot of promise, but never seems to quite live up to that promise. You know, that's Dortmund's entire team, almost. That is such a perfect comparison. Leroy Sané, it feels to me, is like the anti muller slash Gretzka problem, yeah. where every coach is really invested in him. Nagelsmann yeah. was, um, you know, Thomas Tuchel is. And I'm like, I, I get it. I see the promise. But please invest in the guys who you know are already good and just play them. Just just make it easy for yourself here. Yeah. And make Sané compete for his spot. He was, he was great in the first match. So we'll give him that. Just going back to Dortmund for a second. It, you know, um, I watched Marco Royce a lot when he was at Gladbach. And he has been he has been great for Dortmund down the years. But at Gladbach, he was magic. He was just magic. And then Jonas Hoffmann, who, by the way, started brilliantly for Leverkusen already, came to Dortmund and his promise was killed at Dortmund. Mm. It's it's player after player after player. And I really wonder, like, look, Mats Hummels is a World Cup winner and he is one of the best defenders that I've ever seen play. But I wonder what would have happened with Hummels had he developed fully at Bayern rather than gone to Dortmund. It's a good and question. Mm-hmm. Um, technically, he would not get that Klopp boost, which, well, that Klopp's Dortmund was the only Dortmund that you could really say was extremely scary in terms of right. just what they could do. Tuchel's Dortmund is a close second. The 15-16 mm-hmm. Dortmund side, it was really good. But Klopp's Dortmund really had a lot of things going for them, and Hummels was a part of that. And he had, well, I think... He's quite unlike this current crop of Dortmund players because he does have that kind of winning mentality. And you can see it on the pitch because he is the real leader in the pitch, in my opinion, compared to Emery Chan, who has the captain's armband. I think the only reason Hummels does not get the captain's armband right now is because of that stint he spent away at Bayern winning titles for his trophy cabinet, you know? Otherwise, he would probably definitely have the armband right now as captain because... He has that leadership quality, and even at his age, he seems like Dortmund's best defender at most, in most cases. The number of headers he still wins, oh my goodness, in the box. We could really use a guy like that, because despite all our, uh, despite all the money spent on Anthony Barry, our set pieces could look so terrible. We could use a guy like Hummels to bring us together on those, on that front as well. Um, What was I saying again? What What was the point of this? About um, something about Dortmund and their captaincy. But let's go back to the original point, which yeah. was uh, challengers for the title. And I'm going mm-hmm. to throw in, um, you know what, I'm just going to do it anyway. Union Berlin. What do you think of their squad developments over the summer and just the number of players they have added, the quality they, of they, players? They added, they added yeah. Robin Gosens, which is... Um, bizarre. It's bizarre because, first of all, I don't think 
that Gosens is going to take them anywhere near to the next level. For all the effort and the amount of money that they put into the signing, it just feels like, it almost feels like a marketing move from Union Berlin. It doesn't feel like a major signing in the sense that it'll make them much better on the pitch. Union, though, they are a very solid team, and Urs Fischer seems like a very underrated coach. But the fundamental problem with the Bundesliga is that no one really has the quality to challenge Bayern for 34 match days. Right. That's just the entire thing. Maybe if you took an all-star 11 composed of the best players from Leipzig, Gladbach. Sorry, not Gladbach. Why the hell did I say Gladbach? Leipzig, uh-huh. Dortmund. <laughs> it's not going to be Gladbach. 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 <laughs> Gladbach had the magic, that magic that you need to beat Bayern. They had the magic, they had the black magic to beat Bayern, but that's it. (laughs) And everybody needs that. If all the teams could do that, we would get somewhere. Look, if all the teams could do that, then Bayern Munich would get relegated. That is not (laughs) ideal. (laughs) Wouldn't be that funny. I would be very upset. Okay, at least mildly upset. Um, but the thing I want to see Tuchel coaching a second division side, but anyway, go on. He practically makes us play like a seventh division side sometimes. Right. Um, but look, not Gladbach. If you took an all-star 11 composed of the best players from Leverkusen, Dortmund, and Leipzig, and maybe Union or whatever. Not Union, maybe. But, and maybe gave them to someone like Christian Strike or something to coach. Then you might end up with a team that might challenge Bayern, you know? Which kind of just tells you how lopsided the Bundesliga is at this point, and it's not getting any better. Despite this, maybe maybe there will be a challenger, but it's not going to be anyone we can predict at this point in time because the Bundesliga loves its surprises. We haven't talked about Leipzig, who started us because this season. I, think, yeah. I feel like we've talked a lot about Leipzig, but not in the context of them winning the title. I think Leipzig are the second best team in Germany. I think so too. I think Leipzig doesn't come in with the baggage that the rest of the teams yeah. do, you know? And they, yeah. Yeah. And they've recently started winning titles as well. Yeah. Add a winning mentality to the fact that, you know, they don't have a history or a record of getting beaten by Bayern like 127 times. Not and, until recently, yeah. Leipzig had a really poor record against. I mean, they Bayern were the we only never team won. That had uh, they had, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, were the only team that they had a poor record against. It was turning into a bit of a millstone around the neck for them. But then they started turning that around too, which is kind of annoying. But yeah, Leipzig are the only team in the Bundesliga that tends to play around their quality level. You know, Dortmund often tends to underperform. Leverkusen swing wildly. Same. Overall, mm-hmm. over the place, all over the place. Wolfsburg, God knows what they do. Um, Gladbach, always underperforming. Union, overperforming. Freiburg, tend to overperform. Leipzig, they're just about where they should be. But they lost to Leverkusen. And I think that they have issues. You know, they, they can beat Bayern Munich. And I think on that day, they can beat anyone. But I think that, you know, um, how should I say? They don't seem like a top team, you know, a team that can really stand alongside, say, for example, the title winners of the uh, French, Italian or Spanish leagues, you know, they don't seem like that sort of team. They, If they do win a title, at least the Bundesliga title, it'll be because Bayern Munich underperformed and not because they were better. I think, I actually think, well, you say Leipzig perform at their level, I think they're actually greater than the sum of their parts. Especially this season, well, it'll look they're like supposed it. to be right. I, I think yeah, they're supposed to be like all teams should be greater than the sum of their parts. That's why they are teams. The ones that are don't do that are the exception teams like you know Chelsea and Manchester United who have spent tons and tons of money and always seem to underperform for some reason. Or a team like Dortmund who have a lot of theoretically good players but don't ever seem to really make it click for an entire season. You know, that that kind of team. Those are those should be the exceptions. In general, a team should be performing greater than the sum of their parts. So that's why I say Leipzig perform more or less at their level. They don't do anything exceptional given the players that they have. They are the second best team in the league and they can expect the second best results, in my opinion. You could argue that we are less than the sum of our parts right now. Yes, right now we are. Yeah. But yeah. to be fair, we are not getting the correct sum of the parts on the pitch right now. Like if you yeah. just put the addition is Kane all wrong. And Muller, Kane and Muller and uh, Moziala on the left and all of that, th- those things automatically add up 
to make us greater than the sum of our parts. Not that much greater. For example, the Flick team, that was significantly greater than the sum of its parts. But whereas like it was almost like a two two times multiplier, whereas the current buying team, if you get everything right, it might be in tuples tactics so of 1.1 times multiplier, 10% better than they would be in general, which is a very bad way to explain it, especially for those not inclined to the math, but is how I rationalize this team and how it is currently performing. I still think it's more than enough for us to win the Bundesliga title this year and next year and whatever year. Just the last year's title race has kind of disillusioned me on the concept of a title race and the Bundesliga at all, to be honest. I cannot, I still cannot believe what happened. Yeah. And, you know, Derek Ray's voice stays in my head when he yells Musiala. And I just, yeah. I, I, I still can't believe it. But anybody else you are keeping an eye on for either like, you know, we'll get relegated as 100% will get relegated or Time you have Gladbach. an interest on. Gladbach okay. <laughs> they, they have to go. It's time. Listen, they, they play Bayern twice. That'll society keep them up. has moved on for the need for Borussia Mönchengladbach. See, they have to live. They have to live on to show others that you Why? can beat Bayern. We, we, That's people know that they the can beat Bayern. Haven't, aren't they watching the Champions League? Then again, Bayern loses in the Champions League once a season. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's just it's it's look, I just want Hamburg and Schalke back in the league and Gladbach out of it. You know, I, I want the punching bags back. It's not fair <laughs> that Gladbach get to play badly and stay in the league while teams like Schalke get, have to get relegated every other year. It's it doesn't make any sense. You know, um Gladbach terrible last season. Horrible. I know, I know. And still finished 10th. <laughs> Which so says a lot. Bad. I mean, yeah. we gave them we gave them six points, didn't we? Yeah, and you know their away record was so abysmal. Like it, it's not even worth talking about. It was that bad. And what happened at Augsburg is another like classic example of Gladbach. That team is good on the counter and will be mm. worth watching. But I do want to keep an eye out on Frankfurt this year. Um, they were not very good today. I watched them against Darmstadt. They were Frankfurt does pretty that, terrible actually. Right? Yeah, they they have those days, but I want to see how Dino Topmuller goes on, uh, gets on. But it seems like he has that you know Nagelsmann kind of like idealistic view of possession based game. Frankfurt really tried to play a possession based game today, and they were slow. And of course, mm-hmm. they're not going to counter Darmstadt. That's not happening. Yeah. Um, they have to take the lead against Darmstadt. But that's where it seems like it's going. But I'm really interested to see how this pans out. The and if only Dino, thing yeah. I know about mm-hmm. Dino Topmuller is that he was the guy in charge when we lost 5-0 to Gladbach. Oh, yeah, that was him. Huh. Yeah, it was him. Nagelsmann had COVID. Yeah, yeah. And it. I want I also want to see how this plays out because he was the assistant coach, and assistant coaches matter a lot. Look at Armand Garland. For years, a vital assistant. And that may give us more insight into what went down during Nagelsmann's time at Bayern. But um, I'm curious about what happens at Hoffenheim. Because as far as I remember, there has been an ownership transfer where Dietmar Hopp has given the club back to the fans and how the league's view toward Hoffenheim changes with this shift. Also, uh, another team that I'm I'm kind of going to keep an eye out on is Wolfsburg because that was Kovac's first season. And Niko Kovac also does a really great job of making teams greater than the sum of their parts. They might finish sixth. It'll... It'll definitely be one to watch for. Who do you think is going to get relegated? Don't say Gladbach. We're done with that. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Not Gladbach. Um, Bochum? I think so. You know, Augsburg, Augsburg, every single season, they seem not like gonna they're going to get relegated, but they don't get relegated. It's yeah, amazing. Mm. They always finish somewhere like 16th or 17th. No, not 16th. Somewhere 15th, like 15th, 14th, 14th, just 14th above. or just above the relegation spot. It's really, it's really quite a talent that they have there. And, and they take points of buying, which is very annoying. Which is why I really think that Augsburg game might get interesting really yeah. fast. Unless like, you know, Kane starts producing magic. It will. Yeah, yeah that may, yeah. that one might get out of hand. That one might push the need for Muller even more because I'm, I'm like nearly 100% sure that Muller's not going to start that one. I'm a little bit more optimistic. I'm going to say I'm 80% sure Muller's not going to start. Wow, look at you taking the optimistic tone. Yeah, huh. I know, I know, right? Yeah, yeah. And Gladbach is not 
going to get relegated. I cannot they emphasize this more. I, I'm not going to watch the Zweite Bundesliga. Like, I can't do that. I watch enough games as it is. Keeping uh-huh. track of one Bundesliga is enough, let alone two Bundesligas. Oof, man. Okay. I think that's as much as we need to talk about today because we are... I think we've lost the plot a little. So um, <laughs> It's your fault. You started talking about Gladbach getting relegated. I only speak for the Bayern fan base. <laughs> okay? Anyway, so this was I Need No Name and Samarin on whatever edition of Bavarian Podcast Works this was. Thank you for listening. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever podcasting platform you choose to listen to. You can find us on Twitter or X or whatever you call it at Bavarian FP Works. You can find us on our blog, which is where we have a great community where we discuss all of these things over and over again ad nauseum until we all die. So thank you for listening and we will see you next time. Good night. Good night.